So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, lords and ladies, Cats, dogs, blacks, whites, shorts, talls, fats, rounds, gays, straights, and undecideds. It is season two, episode five of the world-famous So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome, darling. Welcome. I have a couple of PSAs. Oh, boy. Here we go. And a correction that I must address. A correction? One of our listeners slash patrons slash gangbang friends reached out to me. He said, Chris? I said, yeah. It's teamfoster.org. Oh. And I was like, oh, shit. Maybe that's why we didn't get all the peddlers we need yet. So for those of you that have been waiting a long, long time, especially Megan and Megan's parents, for me to apologize and say something like, I stand corrected, I apologize. I stand corrected. This is an epic moment. But don't forget to go fuck yourselves. Can never just say sorry, can you? That being said, Nick, Team Foster, I apologize from the bottom of my selfish little heart. I'm very sorry. So it's teamfoster.org. Teamfoster.org. That's where you can go and sign up to do the peddling. You can join the So I Married an Alcoholic crew. You can pedal for five minutes, for ten minutes, for... Two days, you could pedal the entire time, and I will be there to support you. And heckle you. And heckle you and smoke all the Newports. You're a valuable asset to our team, honey. Goddamn right. Somebody's going to pull the weight in this marriage. Mm-hmm. So, again, teamfoster.org. Thank you for that correction and your apology. My pleasure. <laughs> well, I mean, just so everyone's clear, the apology wasn't to me. It was only to Team Foster. Shall we PSA? Go right ahead, darling. It's wintertime still, people. Clean off your fucking cars. They heard that one already. I know, but they're not listening. I'm going to beat a dead horse. That's your specialty. That is my specialty. Uh, what else? Be nice. Curtsy to the queen. And Auntie Gay P is officially hiring a full-time toe licker. Don't forget the contact information. So I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. You can follow us, like us, listen to us all of the podcasting platforms. You follow us on social media, So I Married an Alcoholic. The Twitter is married to A-A-T-O-A-A. That being said, we are harboring a fugitive this evening. A fugitive? Yes, a fugitive from my father's nutsack. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, gays, straights, for the first time ever, I introduce to you my brother Rick. Hello. What's going on? How are you? Welcome. Hey, Meg. Thanks for having me. We're excited you're here. We're very happy to have you here. I needed a break from the snow. I hear oh you. God. So I came to PA for more snow. Rick is now living in the upper reaches of the United States of America, and it's cold as shit up there. Yes. I don't even know how you handle it. That appeals to me 0%. No, I, I totally get that. I, I'm actually all set with it, but, you know, to each their own. Yeah, but it's the same thing. How do people live in a tropical climate? I can't do that. Lovely. Because there's there, no lovely. fucking snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but our economy thrives on the snow up there. All right, that's a good point, I guess. Right? 
Yeah. You got ski resorts. You got snowmobiling. Snowmobiling is huge now for tourists. No, that's true. And, and, you know, not to offend the native New Hampshireian. I don't know if that's how you say it. I don't think it is. But I have to check that. Whatever. We're going with native New Hampshireian. Do you fuck your cousin up there? No. No. That's West Virginia. I'm sorry. My geography's all screwed up. It's okay. When you look at the map, Alaska's really not that close either. <laughs> to us or Russia? Us. Oh. If you look at the map, it's usually right there. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm not a geography person. That's okay. I was pretty good at it. I do drugs and rob banks and sell million-dollar houses, but, you know, who am I? That's all right. You did well for yourself. Just a normal run-of-the-mill degenerate. You guys went one way. I went the other at a young age. It's all good. And now you guys are better than I am, so (laughs) things are looking up. Not better. Well, no, not better. Not better. I think we just took different paths to get there, right? Sure. I mean, we've all had our struggles. Megan has been married several times. I've been to rehab several times. And Rick has fought in several wars. Wait, Meg, you were married several times? Just once. I don't know if you know this, but Chris likes to inflate the truth. I was married several times. Yeah, I was going to say. Like legit on paper. Well, also very true. So basically you're both degenerates and you can't (laughs) fucking do anything once. I have problems with commitment. No, I hear that. I get that. It is what it is. I've been looking at the same pair of shoes for the last hour and a half. (laughs) Seriously, we ate dinner and then we were talking about coming down here because we have to, you know, continue to spread the good word. And Rick's upstairs laying on the couch looking at at least 75 different pairs of shoes. I'm like, can you just fucking buy a pair of shoes and let's go? Like, I have a world famous podcast to put on. Do you mind? See, if you were Chris, you would just buy seven. Exactly. Yeah, but not every shoe is made the same, right? So if I get one pair of, like, let's say, all white, mm-hmm. right, it could fit my feet great. And then if I buy the other pair that's the exact same size, which is 11, they'll fit differently. So now I'm in the conundrum. Do I just buy them online or do I go across the street to the premium outlets and get them there? And at least try them then on. Then you can try them on, right. See what I mean? This is why I struggle with shopping online. Notice right. that he threw in there that he's a size 11 and you're a size 8. Barely. <laughs> Are you really? I have to stuff socks into the toe box because I have teeny little feet. The 11-year-old that lives here has bigger feet than he does. Jesus, can you imagine if you were living in the Dutch colonies back in the day overseas and they screwed up the wrong size? They'd have to whittle that thing all the way over again. I'd have perfect little Dutch wooden <laughs> shoes. You're like the Asian women. They've been bound. Bound. That's what it was. You've been bound. <laughs> <laughs> it's a delicacy, honey. Here we come. Sure is. <laughs> I wonder if that's the preferred type of toes for anti-gay pee. I don't know. I don't think anti-gay pee or anti-gay pee is, is very picky when it comes to who is sucking on his toe juices. Wait, it, you weren't kidding. That's a thing right now? I don't. The millennials are doing a lot of interesting things these days. Yeah. So we've heard. Well- I don't do it. That's nope. disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Eating ass wasn't something that we would bring up in a casual conversation back in the day, and now it's just you no, know, I, your I second totally line would. in on Tinder. I was just going to say, I think they have college courses on it. Right. I would totally eat ass. I mean, not like now, because I'm married to you, and I've seen like the toilet upstairs, so <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't eat your ass. And I However- would, I wouldn't let your dirty- <laughs> Newport tongue near my designer asshole. Probably why you're working on marriage number three. 
I don't know what to tell you. Two, two. It was two. Yeah, no, I'm two. I've already been divorced from three. (laughs) That a boy. It's like rehab. You just got to keep going until you get it right. I'm going for prime numbers after this. Uh, Meg, what's a prime number? Can't can only be divided by one in itself. So seven. Yeah. Nine. Well, nine can be also divided by three. You fucking. (laughs) That's why I went in the army. (laughs) Fucking dumbass. Three, the number of Rick's ex-wives. See, it all comes back to itself. Perfect. All right, so uh, Megan and I were talking over the weekend because yours truly had ordered some. Are we allowed to say the product? Yeah, I guess. It's actually made in Dr. Chong's factory. It is. Unlike Rick's new Nikes, is it keeps yes hair loss product for men. So I'm sitting on the couch the other day, and Chris and I share an Amazon, and all of a sudden a notification comes up. Your order is being processed. I'm thinking, what did this asshole buy now? Mm-hmm. So I open it up, and... Oh, wait a minute. Rick just spotted the boobs on the wall. Yeah, Rick just noticed Meg's tits. Do you want to talk about those real quick? May I interject? Yes, please you do. May. I'm more impressed that you put that into a puzzle. So that means you would have had to have taken a picture of it, which I was there for that day. Then you sent it off to some poor bastard who had to put that on some sort of computer layout and then like whittle it into a puzzle. And then it came back and you actually put that together. Also one of Dr. Chong's relatives, but not the same relative that makes Rick's Nikes. Antique AP had that made into a puzzle for us. Of mm-hmm. of and then course. Chris and I built it together. So that's sick fuck. Literally, I sent him the picture on like a random night just to be an asshole because that's what I do. And that sick fuck sat on that for like a year and then had it delivered. What was it? Frankie's first birthday? Yes. Frankie's first birthday. That came in a puzzle. Oh, well, that's why he's on a foot fetish then. It he makes went, a lot of sense, Meg's right? nips to people's feet. <laughs> right. I get it. Exactly. Life is cyclical, Rick. Life is cyclical. And I honestly feel weird talking about that since you're my sister-in-law. <laughs> well, it's not like that sexual at all. It's horrendous. I, again, there's some people that would right. probably pay good money to, like, punch those. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, they don't look like that anymore. I don't know if they look better or worse, but just not like that. Can we move on? Yep. I'm rather uncomfortable. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the couch, and an order pops up. Click it open, thinking Chris ordered some other shit we don't need. Yep. And that's exactly what he did. He has ordered two bottles of hair restoration shampoo and conditioner. That's right. And then Rogaine. I don't know if it's, I, I think Rogaine is the, the trade name. It is, you're right. So it's a different brand, but it's Minoxidil, which that's exactly what that is. And as we all know, Meg practices medicine, blah, blah, blah. So I can say the big words. You know what you don't practice? Loading and unloading the dishwasher. All I know is I'm like, are you serious right now? You just ordered this? And I'm like, yep. And we're not going to fucking talk about it. How much did it cost? It was over $100. I'm just saying. Because he had to buy the whole system. This is why Megan is on marriage number 18. Because it was less than $100. That was $23 per bottle of shampoo. Right. And there's three bottles. 23 times three is what? 79. Fuck you. You got a shampoo and conditioner. They reached $23. And then the the foaming thing was 45 Wait, what foaming thing? The part, the, the actual medication portion. I don't know. The model looked fucking good when he was rubbing it into his scalp. 
All so I, I got suckered in by their marketing. All I know is reading the bottles today because they arrived. And after you apply each product, you have to remain in the shower and massage it in for four minutes. So if you know anything about me, as in like know me personally, you know that brevity and shower are not necessarily two things that are talked about when mentioning my name. So Krista said an extra 12 minutes to his already 68 minute getting ready routine. So all future client appointments when I'm approximately 12 minutes late, it's because I was trying to salvage what's left in my scalp. And it'll probably be more. It'll be like 36 minutes late because, you know, doing it once for four minutes is good. Why not do it three times? Yeah, because I'm an addict. I'm like, well, why take six months when I can knock this out in the next three days? So anyway, he orders all this stuff. And I, as the good alcoholic I am, my wheels start turning. Yeah, so that night, you know, it was normal. I slept on the couch. Megan went upstairs to bed. <laughs> and then the next day, the text message rolls in bright and early. I said, why don't we talk about insecurities on the next podcast? Which is actually a great topic. Great because topic. we have talked about, and it's definitely good. Well, it's good that you popped in because obviously it's good to see you, Rick. But it's also good because I think we... Megan and I have our own particular alcoholic take on fears, doubts, and insecurities. Uh, you know, we'll do the roundtable discussion when we get to you. Obviously, you have carte blanche. You could talk about whatever. But as alcoholics, fears, doubts, insecurities are three things that pretty much run our lives on a daily basis, right? Absolutely. And we deal with them better now in sobriety. Correct. We don't drink over them. Sometimes we deal with them better. Sometimes not. Sometimes not at all. Even if it's sober, it's not always good. And sometimes we just make a complete mess out of it. 100%. So here's my... So obviously Chris is insecure about him losing his hair. So then I, my mind starts going... Because now it's about me, right? Like Chris is losing his hair, but obviously it's all about me because I'm an alcoholic. How shocking. I know, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, all right, number one... Does he think that I care that he's losing his hair? Have I not done a good enough job at making him feel attractive or him knowing that I'm in this, whether he's bald or fat or whatever? Or, you know, am I not a good wife? And then I'm thinking, no, he knows I don't care if he loses his hair. <laughs> Who is he massaging the scalp 12 ah. minutes for? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I got all fucked up and I'm like, let's talk about insecurities on the podcast. So let's do what we do best. Let's have a little discussion. Okay, I'm ready. Did it ever fucking occur to you that maybe I wanted to keep my hair because I am 41 years old and I'm not quite ready to give up on my scalp? What does the hair mean to you? Like, is it youth you're giving up? Is that the problem? Are you afraid of getting older? So I'm not afraid of getting older. You know, it's not an age thing. I mean, and it's obviously not like I have this, you know, luscious, like, wavy surfer hair. I just think that I am not quite ready at that point to be like, all right, this is like the line of demarcation. This is definitely you know, the next step in the progression of life or getting old or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, there's birthdays, which interestingly enough, I, I just celebrated a birthday a couple weeks ago. 
that's one thing. We all know I'm I'm not a huge birthday person, but this is something I think like tangible. Does that make sense? Yes. I do get it. So I worked with cancer patients for a long time. And believe it or not, when the hair fell out, not when we told you had cancer, not when you got surgery, not when we started chemotherapy, but when the hair fell out, that's when it became real. Because mm. it's the first tangible sign that, holy shit, like everything happens so quickly. And now, you know, three treatments in, you're bald. So it's interesting. So you uh, professionally dealt with cancer patients that you just explained the exact situation that I'm going through, yet somehow you managed to make it about you. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know. I guess there's a part. So I get that. And I guess. You do? No. Because I... it doesn't sound like it. So I I see where I'm being uh, hypocritical, right? Because I put anti-aging cream on my face. Oh, I work well, out. I do all these things because I don't necessarily want to get older. Like, I haven't crossed the Botox line yet, but, you know, I would. You know? So, like, I do get that. I, I don't know. I guess sometimes I wonder. I mean, I guess I should just let it go. If it's important to you, it's important to you. But I don't know. Sometimes I think that vanity is just skin deep, you know? Like, I think there's other areas in our lives that are more important to enrich than our scalp. Yeah, well, this is where I'm starting. So, again, stop raining on my parade. <laughs> All right. So, tell us. So, your insecurity is, for you, it's a sign of aging? Yeah. Yeah. I guess if w without, you know, again, going into some long, deep discussion about whatever, yes, I would say this is like that first tangible piece that, like, Holy fuck, I am getting old. What bothers you about getting old? I'm not going to say a lot bothers me about getting old. Obviously, it's, you know, one of those things, if we're lucky enough, we all get to see the ripe old age of blank. I do think that, you know, as a parent, I think more and more about how Megan basically, like, trapped me and forced me into having Frankie at, you know, 39 years old, something like that. And I think it's going to be hard going forward being, you know, a 62-year-old college freshman drop-off. <laughs> you <laughs> know what I'm saying? And while I would not change anything about my life or my past or anything like that, like I do think more and more lately about or if I'm going to miss, you know, pieces of this precious little girl's life because... You know, again, Megan gets her way with everything, and, and I had to have Frankie at 39. Well, you should have met me earlier. Seems like that's your fault. Well, I couldn't, honey. You were involved <laughs> with another man. That's okay. That never really bothered me much. Well, that's true. <laughs> Ask your attorney. So, I mean, yeah, like, again, we I could talk about the... You know, I guess numerous things that that concern people about getting old. But I'm here to tell you right now, like the, the main focus that I have is and it's kind of interesting because I'm not one of those people that worries about things that may or may not be. But I do think that there's going to be, you know, certain aspects of Frankie's life that I'm un, unfortunately going to miss out on because of, you know, probably being in a fucking nursing home. No, I completely get that. And that's where my only issue is with getting old I don't mind getting older like I, I think there's I don't know you get wiser I don't 
feel that old. You know, like I don't feel 38 years old. I don't know what 38 yeah. supposed to feel like. Nor do I feel 41 or, you know, you over there. Do you feel, what are you, 42 now? I mean, do you feel like that? And you have also lived, I mean, you spent 20 years in the United States Army, which is not... I mean, you weren't like coal mining for 20 years, but it's also a lot of PT and it's hard on your body. Again, you fought in two different wars. So like, what's that like for you? Rough. Care to expound on that a little bit? Not really, because I'm wicked insecure when it comes to talking about that. This itself. is exactly why we do this. So yeah, do I it. was really hoping you weren't going to bring any of that up. Get in uh, touch honestly. with your, your inner pussy right now and go. <laughs> I don't know if I <laughs> No, you know what it is? Like, I went in at 19, right? So that's a young man's game. Yeah. I'd say 80% of the Army that I know, at least the stats when I were in, were 24 years and under, right? Yeah, you're just a kid. You don't know shit. And that's perfect because that's where they want you, right? Sure. They get to mold you into what they want. You see what I'm saying? They build your body up to where they want, and then you can continue that pace. If it's bred into you early, it's like a dog. If you teach it those skills at a young age, then it's going to last throughout the lifetime of that person. It's the same thing, right? So getting up at 4.30 in the morning and going run six miles was fine. And the older I got, the more it pissed me off because I couldn't keep up with these kids anymore. Yeah. Six miles wasn't taking me 40 minutes. Six miles was taking me an hour. And I have a hard, and I still to this day have a hard time with that because I look at where I was even when I retired a year and a half ago to where I am now and what a huge difference it is. Like the, it, it keeps you young so long as you're active and you're doing things like that. So you brought up the whole retirement home. You know, I mean, what's the number one killer of old people? Movement. They just stop moving. They don't want to do anything. They yeah. just, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I feel like when you get to that point, it, it's like a psychological impact on you. Well, and it's amazing because, you know, you were able to build up that stamina and things like that, but like you lose it so quickly. Like you put down working out for a week, you come back and it's like double hard. You yeah. know what I mean? And when you don't have that structure every day saying you have to get up at 430 in the morning and run six miles, like I'm not fucking getting up, you know? Right. So you do like you, you lose that very quickly. And, and there's no such thing as, hey, I'm not going in today. Right. There's no such thing as I'm calling out today, or at least it wasn't what I did. Yeah. Because then you were letting the whole team down. And I'm in corporate America now, and I think that's weighing in on me too because I didn't come from that world. I came from the world where you're supposed to show up at a certain time in the right uniform at the right place. I get to corporate America, and it's like, ah, eh, 21 minutes late. It's no big deal. Yeah. Eh, you're like, do we take them out back and shoot them now? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, what do you do? Right. You know what I mean? So it's very, for me, it's been a difficult, no, it's been a horrendous change. And I'm still not used to it. Mm -hmm. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And the whole insecurity thing is just, it's a confidence thing. Like for you, it's your hair. For me, it's my outward appearance. What do people think of me? You know what sure. I mean? Because you're not. As an officer, you're not taught to be that way. Right. You're taught to stand out front. You're in the airborne. What do we do? We jump out the door first as officers. Let's go. You guys follow me. Now it's not. It's like, uh, okay. And if you think about it, like you were in from what, like 19 to 40 or, you know, around that, those mm -hmm. ages, there is a whole lot of growing 
that goes on during that time. And I think when you do it in the army and we're huge supporters of the armed services, I'm not saying anything negative at all, but it's almost like, like the experiences you had are so unique, but they're not what we're used to in civilian society. So it's almost like you grew up in a whole different, I don't know, world than we did, you know? It's almost like it's it's almost like addicts, Chris. You know how with addicts, you always say like sometimes when you look at them, it's almost like they stopped aging the moment their addiction took over. Right. So I almost think maybe it's the same way. Like you stop growing in society. So now to adjust back, I can't imagine what that's like. You know? Wait, what do you mean an addict? Because again, I... I've, this is the guy that's never done any drugs in no, his entire I know. life. That's because you're both pussies. Well, all right. I mean, that's sure. That's your fair thing. <laughs> a little I mean, biased. I'm just saying. Actually, a little unfair. Yeah, whatever. But what do you what do you what do you mean? Like they stop aging? So it's I I don't know. Megan could because again, we all know that Megan's a fake doctor. Uh, explain this a little bit better than I can. But they say that once you start to, or once you have introduced a narcotic into your system for a certain amount of time you stop growing mentally from that point so let's say you start using heroin at the age of 10 you quit when you're 20 so even though biologically you're a 20 year old mentally you're like a 10 year old because your brain is still developing so that might be where i'm at in my life i still feel like i'm 20 years old jumping out of airplanes or living in bosnia or Kosovo, well, Iraq, Afghanistan, like it's, it's weird. And then I look at my body or I look at you guys and I come over and I, you make fun of me and you're like, God, you got fat. Yes, I did. Well, you did. That bothers me too. Not that you're saying it, but like. No, I know what you mean. Being in shape for all those years, mm-hmm. like it was nothing to just get out and run four miles. I wasn't even winded. Sure. I got a hard time walking up the steps these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're feeling your age. So I'm feeling my age outwardly. Right? Like my body has yeah. just given up on me all of a sudden. But yet inside, I don't feel that way at all. I still feel like I'm 20. I still feel like I could go jump out of a plane right now if I wanted to. And in reality, that's not happening. And also, much like us, like, you know, we gave up drugs and alcohol in our mid to late 30s, right? Mm-hmm. And we had to start fresh. So it's almost like we were that brand spanking new. 20 year old 22 year old that's out in the world again for the first time like we joke all the time about you know getting married at 40 and all this kind of stuff buying our first house like we did stuff that people are doing 20 years prior because there was a 20 year span of our lives that's missing yeah different priorities so back to you sir how would you say that that I don't know, you could put, you know, the body image label on it or, you know, just getting old or whatever, whatever, however you want to associate that. How would you say in terms of, again, keeping it in the show, the fears, the doubts, the insecurities, how would you say that that consumes your daily life today or how do you manage it? Because I can tell you that, again, we talked about this a while ago. Fears, doubts, and insecurities run pretty much everybody's lives. The difference between those that are on the alcoholic side of the table versus the normie side of the table is that, you know, five years ago I would have gotten shit-faced because I was going bald. 
And now I'm like, all right, so maybe I'll just try to manage it with a little bit of expensive shampoo. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then, you know, I'll trade Megan in and I'll move on with my life. So again, keeping it in the fears, doubts, and insecurities, how does that either uh, run your life now or how do you manage it, so to speak? I guess when it comes to fears, like I, there's nothing that really scares me. As far as doubts, I doubt myself daily now, for sure. Sure. And it, especially with the job that I'm currently in, there's expectations that were the same as if it's military or corporate, right? I'll break that down as easy as I can. Like, expectations are always there. From your boss, it's their boss. You know what I mean? There's always someone above you. And it's, you know, so on and so on and so on. Yeah, there's a hierarchy. But then there's also people underneath you that you have to be able to understand what they're going through at the same time. And I never, how do I explain that? It's the doubts of, am I doing the right thing for them? You know what I mean? Like, I get what my upper command wants. It's how do I transform that into getting myself and my folks on the same page as what they want? Right. And that's the hardest thing for me. Where I come from, you tell someone to do something, they do it. I don't have to check on you four, five, six, seven times. I don't have to go back over that stuff to make sure it's done. It's already been done. You know what I mean? So the fear from the, the, the doubt for me is did I accomplish what I was set out to do? And did my team, were they successful based on the guidance I gave them? Right. Right. Do you think that? And again, in the in the role that you play now, I mean, you know, on a normal day, nobody should be getting shot at, right? Do you think that the stakes are less? Like you were just saying, you know, am I doing the right thing by them? So let's say you are, you know, on patrol in the middle of Shikanistan or wherever you are. The decisions that you make without question can have a profound impact on quite literally somebody's life. The decisions that you make now in your current role don't necessarily have such a great impact. You know what I'm saying? That's a hard part for me because you're right. You make certain decisions when you're deployed or you're overseas and someone's life can be affected by that, both good or bad. Right. right? But at the same time, I feel like it's also parallel with you know living in this new job as well because for my team up there, maybe they feel like they can't come to work because something's bothering them. You know what I mean? So that could be a fear or a doubt or an insecurity with those folks. And I don't take that into consideration because I'm so used to people being able to put that in a box and never have it come out openly or outwardly shown that they actually have a problem. Right. You know what I mean? And it's hard for me to distinguish the two nowadays because I'm just so used to saying, all right, hey, let's go get this done. And then I walk away, I come back and it's done. On the Army side, they train you, hey, just get it done. They teach you to put everything in the back of your mind, mission first. Right. There's a time and a place to decompress and do all of that. And by the way, it's not until you get R&R or you leave this disgusting sandy rock. Exactly. And now I'm here and it's a day in, day out. It's the same people, the same job, the same mission. And I have to understand that, you know, there are folks that have not been trained like that. So they might be going through some issues themselves, but they're not even comfortable talking to me about 
which if they knew me, they know they could come and talk to me about anything and I would keep that between us and I'd go out of my way to help them. You know what I mean? Like that's where it's a good thing that I bring in. For sure. But yeah, it's just for me that's, again, that goes back to that. that's the insecurity there is am I doing right by those guys? And sometimes I don't feel like I am because I'm being too much of an ass, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think Chris would understand that. No, because I'm a social. I, I don't. I don't think he does. I don't know. No. A complete sociopath. It I'm makes no sense to, to me. Get him to understand, though. You know. Do that's... you understand you're a sociopath? No, that's part of being a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's a sociopath to a certain point, it's, right? It's because ego rules, right? Like we talk about fears, doubts, and insecurities, and then there's ego that can overpower all of it. Which is interesting because, again, I'm in real estate, and anybody who is slightly successful in real estate has, or even you know, in some sort of sales role, has to have an ego, right? It's like a surgeon. So if you see me like in my office walking around or I'm out with clients or something like that, you would think that I am the fucking Rockefeller of real estate. And then I get in my car and I'm like crying. I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. Megan, come pick me up. <laughs> Hold me. But you know what? That it, It's good that you just brought that up because that's what... They teach you to exude confidence. Like you get up and just piss excellence. And you have to have that mindset going into even business these days, right? It's all about the psyche. Absolutely. Once you get over yourself and you look in the mirror and say, dude, you can do it today. Or come on, you got this. Like I, I feel like you can accomplish anything. And it's so hard for me to instill that into today's society right because this is almost like the give me generation i want everything given to me and i don't want to have to work hard for it right like look at our parents for instance dick and jude Uh, on the show we refer to them as prick and rude so prick and rude look at all the stuff that they've been through in their life and i look at them and they just everything just rolls right off them right on an outward appearance they've done so much and it's like nothing could ever affect either one of those two but then you sit down and you have that conversation and you actually learn how much like mental frustration they went through even to where they're at now absolutely and i didn't get all that because i was gone yeah for the entire time because again you left when you were 18 19 years old so you weren't there for you know a majority of like the real shit show fun stuff Right. Um, which is why, you know, I ended up in rehab and you ended up fucking G.I. Joe. But good for you. But if you, and I'm glad you said that, though. No, seriously, because at 18, 19 years old, that's a pivotal point in your life. Absolutely. It, and what you're doing at that age, you're now considering an adult. You know what I mean? So whatever the decisions you make at that age sticks with you for the rest of your life. Sure does. Without an adult brain. You have no adult brain at 18 years old. You know, and we're, we're, making those decisions i think it's actually 25 when your frontal lobe fully develops dropping another medical knowledge on you is that really it is yep 25 i'm gonna frontal lobe these nuts off your forehead tonight (laughs) is that a promise no all right we had sex like three weeks ago we're done for the year dude i am definitely not sleeping over tonight we are wrapping up 2022 yeah okay we're gonna knock it out early so anywho (laughs) do your parents listen to this they do not wink wink (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so getting back to that, I mean, what I'm 
basically what I'm trying to wrap up here is when you're 18, 19 years old, especially during that time frame, right? So you're talking about early 2000s. Pills were huge. That was the introduction, at least in our geographic area, of OxyContin. Yeah, you guys got them early, too, up in Worcester. Worcester. So think. So I'm in Missouri at that same time. You're in Worcester. There's no such thing happening over there for kids my age. Like I didn't even realize what was going on until I came back and like when it, when I was in Germany in like 2005, and I realized what a hot mess you were and when you, I got that call from the Worcester County Jail. <laughs> <laughs> Your brother's all strung out in jail again, and that's what it was. That's so interesting. So. It's funny. So you left and you kind of really missed. I guess I w- that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. When did you first realize Chris had a problem? But you were really gone when his problem developed. And you know what? I think it was even later than that. Mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand where you were until the first podcast or the second podcast that you guys did when you opened up and said, this is what started in my life when you guys opened up to one another. This is... Well, I mean, really, we opened up to the world. Like, Megan is probably one out of 17, 18,000 women that I was 100% upfront and honest with about. Um, you know, and I've been telling my story now in the, the rooms of AA for years, but that's the first time, like, we put that out there to, like, a, a wide audience, which is now, you know, multinational worldwide. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. What? What? So you're 18. Yep. That's where you were inhibited when she goes back to biology. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like the word inhibited, but I understand what you're, what Stunted, you're getting maybe. at. maybe. No, I actually find that even more offensive because now you're referring to me as a midget. <laughs> close. Okay, that well, close. that's where your mental growth stopped. So that's when... Yeah. This is s- the guy that bought 3,000 yeah. iced teas one day and said, help me unload these out of your truck. He's a sick man. Well, that's because Megan wanted them. It had nothing to do with... Lies. Me. Schmeggles did not want 3,000 iced teas. From no, the it's because I wanted to walk into the supermarket swinging my big dick, like, get me a pallet of iced tea, bro. They were probably like, who's this fucking idiot? <laughs> that's you exuding confidence. Yes. But it's fake. Because it was Megan's credit card. Oh. Smart. Yeah. Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, of course. So, and this is where I'm proud of you specifically, Chris, because let's face it, you didn't have a pot to piss in. God, no. In all those times that you lived with me, I didn't understand that you were living out of your car. Yeah. In all reality. We talked about this on the podcast. Like, I thought I was doing okay because I was living in the back of a Lexus. Like, it, it can't be that bad. Right. M- meanwhile, Meg says she's homeless and she's living in a beach house somewhere in Jersey. That's called out of touch with reality. Right, completely. <laughs> like, you can't even argue that one. I can't, no. <laughs> no. Not even Silver the same Silver Spooner here. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Mumsy and I had a conversation not that long ago about this, and I said, you know, Chris is doing really well for himself. And I said, That's, this is the first time that I can actually see pictures of you two and your family, and you appear to be happy. It's not a fake smile. No, I am generally happy. Because you don't have to worry about certain things anymore. You literally have somewhere to sleep every single night. Absolutely. With with someone who cares and loves for you. Absolutely. And it has nothing to do with, again, like the size of the house, the money that's in the bank. Um, I mean, you know, it definitely has a lot to do with 
you know, guns and country clubs and bird dogs and the other, you know, impulsive things that I do. But yeah, no, for the, the first time in a long time over the past couple of years, my life is not controlled, consumed, nor dictated by a substance that I'm putting in my body or conversely, the lack of that substance that I'm putting in my body, you know? Does that make sense? It does. But I don't, sometimes I don't see it that way. Like when you say, uh, you know, the country clubs and the, the money in the bank and things like that, I just see that as you growing up and doing it for yourself because you weren't in that phase of your life when everybody else was, right? Like, yeah. like Meg said, you, you're literally like 15 to 20 years behind everybody else when it comes to that stuff. So Absolutely. I see that as a positive, not a, not a fear of what I'm, what someone may perceive me to be. Sure. Sure. Do you get where I'm coming from on that? I Yeah, totally. Because I think that Chris exudes that confidence. And I think, though, you spent a lot of your life th- caring about what people thought about you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think with sobriety and working a program, there's still that because that's life, caring what people think about you. But you do get to give a lot of that up, if that makes sense. I'm actually I'm listening to this new book on Audible and it talks about they actually think the age is 10 years old is when we learn what society thinks we need to be and then we put ourselves in those boxes. And you know, up until 10 years old you're like a genuine genuinely happy person. Like you don't know any different. You're a kid, you're completely innocent. I was still getting yelled at by my father at 10 years old yeah. and beaten. You stupid? <laughs> Yeah, see, I told that story. My name was stupid until I was 17 or so, and then it was fucking stupid, see? So now, further validation that I'm a fucked up individual because daddy wasn't there. I haven't been called stupid in a long time, but I did get the nine iron this past weekend. For for those of you that are not familiar, the nine iron is when you take your hand and cup it at a 45-degree angle and swiftly approach the brainstem from behind. Ooh. Yeah. Is that effective? For your family, it's called beating the shit out of your kid. For <laughs> our family, it's called don't do stupid shit anymore. It's it's vaguely similar to the Gabagool movement, <laughs> <laughs> except several inches before you hit that critical point, your hand goes from the Gabagool to a blade. <laughs> and, and we were used to followed by uh, what are you fucking stupid <laughs> yes that's what we grew up with precisely precisely all right chris so what's your so we talked about the hair right mm-hmm. but that's like such a superficial thing what's your real biggest insecurity i think that's it your hair yeah deep as a puddle yeah and i'm okay with that I don't think that's it, Meg. He's a full of shit. I'm looking at all the pictures in this room, and I could come up with at least four more insecurities you have. (laughs) Well, go. Like, let's talk about those pants, right? (laughs) Those pants are fucking awesome. Like, where'd you guys take that picture? If I was looking at that, I would assume that that came from a St. Andrews golf club scene. No. Only they don't have 57 Chevy trucks over there. It should be the, the next cover photo for, like, the Pier 1 Holiday magazine is what it should be. And when did you start wearing scarves? Oh, he loves a scarf. That's not a scarf, you stupid fuck. It's a satin lapel. It is, but he does love scarves. 
Is that what it's called? A lapel? I'm just a grunt, so I don't know what that's yeah. called. Yeah. It's like a velvet tuxedo jacket. That's hideous. I mean, honestly. <laughs> so that's, I would say that's an insecurity, is you definitely dress the part these days. You're right. Mm. You look like you're on million dollar listing. Well, I have to. I get that. I mean, I, I actually, I don't have to because I'm sure that there are real estate agents out there that are driving a 1996 Honda Civic and they absolutely kill it. But I think we're in a bit of a unique market being the main line. And there's definitely people that are attracted to, you know, that sort of swagger. I don't know if, if look is the right word, but well, I mean, I, again, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in an appearances matter industry. You hit it right there. That that's what I'm trying to pick up on with you. I feel like you have to. I, you, sometimes you have to take an outward look at yourself and say, "Do I really have to be that way, or am I just good the way I am?" Right? Like I take a look at you, your insecurity in that picture, just by me looking at it. Like you want people to think that you're confident and you have your shit in order, right? That's because I do. Nobody does. There's always something going on in someone's life that's going to take over to prevent that from happening, at least temporarily. The behind the scenes. Yes, exactly. The prick and rude moments. No, absolutely. We actually talked about this, was it last episode? About my my particular dress and sometimes how things are, you know, particularly outlandish or... Ridiculous. Stylish. You know, you say ridiculous, I say stylish. It is what it is. And I, you know, I address that question my answer was that no i i don't wear stuff like that to get a rise out of people or to be like look at me or anything like that i wear what i wear again outside of the care bears jacket which you'll you'll see the care bears jacket shortly uh because i am at a place in my life now where i am comfortable with myself so during addiction was that your biggest insecurity being uncomfortable with who you are. Yes. Like, is that what you were? That's where I was going with this. And does it still creep yeah. in, even after all these years sober? I was, for the longest time, I was uncomfortable with who I was because I was an absolute nobody. To you. That's what I'm trying to say here. People always looked at you and they said, there's that wicked funny kid. Or there's the guy that walks into the room and everyone will stand there and, and look at him and listen to the jokes he tells and he's wicked funny and... Which you is still true. But you never, but what I'm saying is I, I think you never saw that. So you were, you've never been comfortable with yourself, honestly. I and you don't. Rick. And I didn't even know you back then. Hmm. But I often think the funny kid, because I was the funny kid too, that that can often be insecurity. I actually remember the exact moment in my life. And this is so ridiculous. I was just thinking about this when I was listening to this book and they were talking about being 10 years old. When I was like in fourth grade, the girls were starting to fight, right? Like not getting along and this and that. And mm -hmm. it, there was a battle on who was going to be most popular. It was like me and this other girl kind of uh, like having at it, right? And so the summer after fourth grade, I decided I don't need to be most popular. I need to be funniest. And that will make me the most liked. Like how fucked up is that, right? Alcoholic in the making. And so I did. And I worked on it over the summer. And when I started the fifth grade, like we're talking max age, I committed to it. I went all in, right? And I was. I took on that persona. 
And I've since perfected it in adulthood. But it absolutely was a cover for insecurity. I My biggest fear why I drank, and it still creeps in, is the fear of never being enough, of not being enough, right? That's what it comes down to. Why I drink, you can read my whole notebook, blah, 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 all the things that happened. But my biggest driving force in my addiction is the fear of not being enough. Not being a good enough mom, not being a good enough daughter, not being pretty enough, smart enough, funny enough, all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, ha- I, I, a lot of days I can say to myself, you know what, you are enough. But there's still some days that even though I know that, I don't feel that. So I think when we talk about fears, doubts, and insecurities ruling our lives, whatever sparked it in the beginning can still rear its ugly head. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. How mm-hmm. about it? I think we just solved it. Because this asshat across the <laughs> table from me was the same thing. Yeah. Everyone in school knew him as yeah. the funny guy. Totally. And he was always doing things to make people laugh, but it worked. Like, well, I remember when we were playing football, we duct taped you to the tree. You remember that? I do remember that, yes. And we had the entire team. Here's 50 people sitting there laughing their asses off. Yeah. And we were throwing footballs at him. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my brother taped to a tree over there. And he rolled with it, right? Because yes. people loved it. Absolutely. But yeah. guess what? He had all the cool friends in high school. Yeah. You know what's sick, Chris? We were literally the same person. It's that's a miracle weird. how we ended up together. It's terrifying. Literally inside one another. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Frankie. Ugh. <laughs> So yes. what is that? So where's Frankie going to be? Not oh, to go off on God. that, but just think about it. This is terrifying. Terrifying. Karma's a bitch. Karma is a bitch. So obviously, you know, we got to talk about a couple of uh, key, maybe important things. I think there's still a little bit of discovery left, if you will, uh, which I think is the point of this thing, right? If you're not better today than you were yesterday, then... Obviously, there's no progress. I think that's the definition of progress, right? It is. I'm Excellent. thinking about staying an extra day if we can have part two. We can do part That'd two. Be great. I think this is a huge topic for everyone, not just you know. We, and we get the normies or, at the normia because Rick drinks nothing. I got a coffee. No, I know, but like alcoholically, like how does that happen? How do you two be be so? Only one of you got the gene. I think that's another topic for another day. That's another good part, too. Yeah, definitely. We'll do it again. I'm all about it. We enjoyed having you. I know. This was great. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Truly our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Now, go replace all the fucking food you ate. (laughs) You cooked it for me. He does. Actually, what I do. Bird ate it all. (laughs) Bird probably destroyed the kitchen upstairs. Yeah. But that's all right. All right. Anything else? Nah, we can wrap it up. All right, say good night, darlings. Good night. I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. Airborne, H minus. I'm not an alcoholic. My name's Rick. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Remember, cut off your pet's privates, and if you are struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.